What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode, and this one is titled Bringing Simplicity to Multi-Cloud Data Protection. And to drop some knowledge for us today, I have Sabaya Sundaram, VP of Product and Marketing at Haiku. And Sabaya has more than 25 years of experience in the industry and has focused on data storage, infrastructure management, and backup and recovery for some time now. So Gumbo listeners, Sabaya will be bringing some simplicity to multi-cloud data protection and discussing cloud native and hyper-converged infrastructure, ransomware, and what he's seeing happening in the cloud right now. So sit back and relax or pace yourself during your morning jog as you are listening to Sabaya give us some fantastic insight from his vantage point in the market. All right, enjoy the episode. What's going on, Sabaya? How are you today? Doing very good, Demetrius. I'm very glad to be in your show. Well, definitely. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know that the Gumbo listeners will definitely have some insight after listening to you on the show today. So let's go ahead and dive right into the questions. And I guess the first question is, what do you think is the problem of some backup vendors around, let's say, cloud native data protection? And also, what's your perspective on it? That's a great question, Demetrius. If you think in terms of cloud, let's take a public cloud, right? If you go back to why did people go to public cloud? The biggest reason was people were in some sense frustrated with the time it took to get their infrastructure up and running Mm on-prem. So they said, when they looked at cloud, the simplicity at which it actually did that, they said, wow, it's so easy to get started on the cloud. So they wanted to go and it was a service. They can go turn it on whenever they want, turn it off whenever they want. That's the experience people got when they started taking their production or development applications onto the cloud. The challenge I think most customers had was when you start initially developing, Backup is important, but not as critical. Mm -hmm. But when you start running production, there's no question it has to be protected. So the question is, when people decided to go to the cloud, they didn't always think in terms of taking their existing backup software. Uh, So they later on, at some point, they started doing it. And when they started doing it, they tried to take their existing backup software and try to run it. The problem is, If Mm -hmm. you went to the cloud for agility and the simplicity that provided, by now trying to retrofit your data on-prem infrastructure onto the cloud, you're completely slowing it down, right? So that's that's the fundamental problem for customers. So the way when we think in terms of cloud data protection, what we fundamentally believe, and I think this is what customers are, and we hear from customers, forget what we believe, it's what the customers care about, right? What customers tell us is that when they go to the cloud, they love the simplicity of a service. Anything they want, they want to use it as a service, turn it on or turn it off. Whenever they go up, they should go up. And when it go down, goes down, they should go down. That's the model they want. And I think that's why I believe a good cloud native data protection should behave like a, any other cloud service they use. So that's that's one of the fundamental things we believe in. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely uh, liked, like your perspective on that as well. And just also... Continuing on that that cloud native uh, data protection and backup and recovery theme, I also want to get your perspective on wh- why do you think 
you know, cloud engineers and, and architects need to even care about cloud native backup and recovery. Um, and I guess take take into consideration some of the traditional softwares that are out there right now. Totally. You know, whether you are a cloud engineer or a cloud operator, right? One of the things you your management wants you to do is to make sure, keep the data safe. I mean, right? I mean, that's the first thing is to bring up the production faster, run applications efficiently, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if the entire thing stops, one thing they want to make sure is your data is safe. That's the bread and butter, right? And the funny part is that most organizations would not even ask you the question, did you do a data protection till something goes wrong? And that's when they will ask you saying, hey, can you get me the data now? Right. It's like magically it has to help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as a cloud engineer or a cloud architect, one of the things they consciously have to think about is that how do I protect my data? That's the big thing, the first thing. The second thing is they want to make sure it's application consistent, right? They got to make sure because it's all around data, they're protecting applications and databases. They want to make sure it's protected. That's the second part. The third thing, a challenge as a cloud engineer you have is that you don't know how much workload is going to come, how fast. Mm-hmm. See, that's a problem. I mean, the good and bad thing about cloud, right? In a in an on-prem world, when they were on-prem, it had so much, there was constraints because of the constraints. Let's say you buy a, a 10 node cluster. You can run 1,000 virtual machines. That's the max you can run. So when you plan, you can plan. Okay, I'll plan for 1,000 virtual machines. I will do X, Y, and Z. Good constraint. The good and bad thing about the cloud is that you can start with one virtual machine, go to 500, go to 1,000 the third day, and then come back to 500 the fourth day. Yeah. How do you plan your backups infrastructure thing like that? That is one of the scale, the randomness, as well as the agility it brings in is is also a problem for a cloud engineer because they have to plan for that. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, so these are some of the things which we see. And obviously, last but not the least, the more important thing I would say is, is around simplicity. Because when they go to the cloud, the management automatically assumes life is simpler. I got to spend less people because it's all automated. The question is, what these guys, what the the guys and girls who are cloud architect engineers have to think of is that, is it simple? Can it dynamically scale with my workload or do I have to put tons of people behind it, right? And does it take care of my application? And how much effort is it for me to adjust along with my workloads changing? How much adapt, uh, adaptability does it actually have? Is there something they have to think of? I think those are some of the things which I would strongly encourage anybody to look at as saying any solution they pick mm-hmm. to actually make sure these are there. And oh, the other important thing I should probably have remembered to definitely tell is around the cost, Yeah. right? You <laughs> you can, because there are some people who say, oh, we can have a solution which can scale up to 20,000 virtual machines. Sounds nice. The question is, if you're going to expect tons of investment ahead of time, that completely breaks your cloud model. Yeah. Because you want to make sure it grows and your cost grows along with your production. When we talk about cloud data protection, I think I went into state and think in terms of for the data, which is already on the cloud, right? I mean, that's something we talk about. The other thing which I think with a lot of your listeners are also probably thinking of is that many of them are still 98% on-prem or 100% on-prem, and they probably are still wondering what to take it to the cloud and how to the journey, the entire thing they think of. So one of the things when we customers obviously have to look at saying, how do they get experience? And I think a big part in the cloud is that the cost-effective object store, S3 buckets, or any blob store, whatever the different vendors call that is a great venue for people to think of. 
that is something I strongly encourage customers to start looking at saying, how could you cost efficiently try the cloud, experience it, and see if they can leverage it for their business? That's just something I think I would strongly encourage. Where is the HCI or hyperconverged infrastructure industry headed these days? And also, Sabaya, do you see a change on the horizon that's that's uh, probably going to take place or maybe it's already occurred? That's a great question. If you look at hyperconverged infrastructure, it started, what, about 10, 12 years ago when Nutanix came into the market and started telling people, guys, there's a better, simpler way of managing your infrastructure, right? That's it was a phenomenal change. It was a fundamental shift for many customers. The way I always think of is that they said, why this three-tier architecture instead of spending $1.5 million and starting a big big yeah. three-tier architecture stuff? Start small, modular, and keep growing. Right? That was a great innovation at that time. And then, as we all know, people have a choice. They made it into a pure software, can actually leverage it in multiple platforms, all great stuff. Now, one of the things when we talk to a lot of customers, I mean, there are lots of uh, industry analyst data out there, which talks about pretty much, I think, 95% of the customers believe Mm -hmm. they are going to actually have hybrid cloud, meaning it's going to be multi-cloud. That's the way they have to live, right? That's the... It's the model they are joining. So one of the things which the way I see these hyperconverged infrastructures vendors uh, think of is that they are trying to, because it's a software layer, they are trying to make the same experience available, not just on-prem. They're saying, even when you go to the cloud, you can actually have the same experience you can actually have. So the good thing for the customer is that when they build a process infrastructure on-prem, they can leverage the same infrastructure management layer process even when they, they go to the cloud. That's the great thing these guys are actually thinking about. That's one thing. The thing which customers, which I think for customers, what they have to think of is, number one, choose the right HCI platform. That's number one. Number two, a big thing which I think they have to think of is, how do I run it cost efficiently on the public cloud? Because public clouds are great. But the big thing is you got to run cost. Sometimes it's like an open uh, open credit card. You can actually use it pretty mm-hmm. quickly. You can actually let it run quite uh, high. So you really have to make sure your infrastructure, you are managing your infrastructure efficiently. And I think that's one of the big things which customers have to plan and manage. And I think that's, that's where the thing, and the good thing is that the HCI vendors are enabling customers to be multi-cloud, not just be stuck in their traditional on-prem stuff. Right now, you can actually scale up. You can use your cloud, multi-cloud for bus workloads or for spinning up uh, additional infrastructure they need, as well as, as DR workloads so they can use thing right? So that the seamless infrastructure they're building in, enabling customers to, uh, the way I think of it is that crossing the, you don't have a boundary right now, right? You can start in one small infrastructure you're on-prem, you can start there. And as you expand, you can actually go to the cloud and you decide to bring back some workloads back from the cloud. And that seamless dynamic nature they are trying to do, it's a great thing. It's a journey, obviously. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but many of the things, they have actually started building the right core technologies right now, and it's starting to get the customer the true experience. Um, that's that's probably one of the best things I can uh, think of. It's actually happening uh, for customers currently on-prem and looking to go to the cloud. Okay, yeah, definitely. All, all great things as well. And you know, one thing that 
that um, kind of stood out to me was the the cost angle of it, especially right now, Sabaya, due to you know the pandemic that we're in and COVID nineteen. This new normal has driven us to really take a look at cost and you know how long how long we're keeping backups and you know is it really necessary to back up some of the types of data that we were backing up before. So just really kind of hone in and have a microscope on on what we're protecting nowadays. So my question for you is, what, what have you been seeing in the data protection and backup and recovery software industry just, just around, you know, cost containment, cost efficiency, or anything that, that, that you see that has shifted as a result of, of COVID-19? Um, excellent question, uh, Demetrius. The thing which I think of, there are a few things I can actually think of, uh, you make, you make me think really well. So that's a great question. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the, the things when you think in terms of cost, right, um, there are many angles to it for customers. One is the storage cost. It's a naturally in a, in a data protection software. It's a data protection infrastructure. It's the software you use. It's the operational experience to manage it. And it's the backup storage itself, right? So there are three different elements if I break it down into three parts. Right. Um, the thing which I think of is, when it comes to backup storage, obviously there are lots of efficient uh, on-prem uh, backup storage which customers actually have. The thing about the cloud vendors, for example, one of the things I can remember very well is like the deep archive uh, from what Google announced, right? Mm -hmm. they are, the good thing about that solution is that the access is exactly like any other cloud uh, object store, right? Meaning at any point in time, you can access even your thing which you archived 20 years ago. And that's and the good thing is they only they try to compete. The prices, price point is almost the same as having a tape storage. Mm. The thing which I think of is that the amazing thing this thing does for customers is that it not only reduces the cost of storage, it also eliminates some of the operational expense they have to run when they have to run a tape infrastructure. That's the good part, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing which I also think is that it makes, allows the software, the backup software to be a lot more smarter in the sense that you can start off your, what I call um, recoverable, I mean, data which is ready for operational recovery, meaning the daily which in the, within the first week in case something goes wrong, you want to recover, right? Those are operational recovery data. That is something you could keep on your little more expensive object stores. You can actually do that. And then as you need further, the system can automatically move the data to the long-term tiers. And that, the intelligence in the software, being able to let you tier to different automatic uh, storage classes and let you take the cheapest storage possible to keep your data most efficient. See the intelligence in the software, reducing the operational expense and keeping the costs low. That makes the whole experience simple for customers. That is something I see. It it is not. I would just to be honest. It's not directly related to the COVID thing, but one of the things it becomes a lot more applicable right now because it is essential for people. So that's and the intelligence. That's why I think customers should. Uh, I'm not trying to pitch for Haiku, but in general, when they look at software, they got to look at software or systems which allow them to. Does it have the intelligence? Does it actually have the ability to? leverage, help the customer automate the process of getting the cheapest infrastructure for the requirement they actually have. That is, that's something I would tell. One other thing I would probably mention, uh, Demetrius, here is that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, 
right now, all of us are worried about ransomware. Every customer I talk to, one of the things is like, that's the constant thing top of mind for them. The good thing is that with a lot of these infrastructure right now, with customers, especially the cloud infrastructure or any uh, lot of the vendors are thinking in the cloud scale, have a built-in uh, one functionality, the right only read many functionality, right? That is something they have built in. And I think that any software they have, I think people have to think in terms of, does it allow me to leverage that functionality? And the thing is, it should not break your bank. I mean, that's one of the key things, right? As you said, with COVID, yeah. it's not that I have too many guys or girls managing the infrastructure. I need small number of people, but at the same time, keep it efficiently protected. And I think that is something, I think warm functionality is, is one of the things. And the, other th- the third thing I would tell you is that it's the combination of an intelligent software and an intelligent infrastructure is to be able to provide a built-in air gap functionality so that in case something goes wrong, your or somebody gets upset in your organization. Don't worry, your data should not be lost, right? You got to protect that, protect that, uh, provide that uh, gap in the middle. So that's, I think those are things which I think customers should think in terms of all this again without breaking the bank. Okay, yeah, and and I am actually thrilled that that you brought up uh, ransomware, and you know that's that's something that comes up on nearly every epi- episode that I do. Um, you know, cybersecurity, ransomware, and, you know, air gap tape, tape still comes up because believe it or not, people are still sending data to tape and using tape as a sort of air gap solution to further, you know, protect their data, you know, especially from a cost perspective. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of the, the old backup saying three, two, one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's, that's all still a thing, you know, that that's going on, but what what I really want to know is, uh, d- do you have any interesting ransomware stories? Um, maybe yeah. being involved with the recovery, or maybe a previous customer, or just any anything that you know the Gumbo listeners will, you know, be able to sit back and say, "Wow, you know, I need to make sure we have you know that in our solution." Uh, that's a great point. You uh, great question you asked there, Demetrius. Because I'll tell you, this is a uh, I have so many stories which actually uh, about uh, the ransomware and mm-hmm. things, but let me actually pick on one of them, right? This is a real story, real uh, incident, actually not a story, it's just a real incident happened. On a Sunday night, a customer calls, uh, customer CFO calls our one of our salespeople and said, guys, my thing, we are completely, uh, this one's messed up because our entire thing has been wiped up. And uh, this is uh, at 10 o'clock in the night, he calls. He calls our sales guy. Sales guy mm-hmm. said, what can I do? He said, can you, it looks like the only software which is running is Haiku in the infrastructure. And can you actually help me uh, do it? The reason what happened when we went back and looked at it, I can tell you is that the customer had changed some networking and somebody accidentally left the security thing a little more lax and that's where it happened. But anyway, it happened right now. The, all the data is encrypted and they have a million dollar ransom. Uh, to be to give you the exact number, it's 92 bitcoins was asked, whatever it comes to 900,000 something. Wow. That was the amount of money they said. And it's there. He said, the, the, the CFO told our salesperson saying, I'm willing to spend 200, 300,000. Please get your engineers on and can I can they help me get the data? Mm-hmm. So good thing is we, we saved them the money. We didn't have to spend the money. The good thing is that our team immediately jumped on. Haiku, the, because of the way we integrate with the platform, and because we are a closed appliance, the reason we were a, we were not affected compared to all the others, 
we are a closed, we provide the customer as a closed appliance, right? That's number one. Mm-hmm. And even though the data was all encrypted, because of the way we do integration with some of the platforms and because of the way we had some intelligent snapshotting built into our system, in addition to the full backups, we were able to recover the, all of the data for the customer to the, I think, the most previous evening or no, that the previous on Sunday morning, whatever the backup, last backup they had taken. Yeah. That was, they were able to get everything up online, up and running. On Monday morning, they had fully back in production. That is something the customer was blown away by. And I think this is something, uh, some of the simple reasons I think of is that we didn't use the classic Windows or SQL servers running on that particular one. I mean, not that there's good software, but there are some vulnerabilities there. Whereas we use a closed appliance and we were able to be fully protected. And because of the tight integration into the platform, we were able to get the data for the customer to the most recent point without having to lose something. And more than that, all the thing in my mind is that it the customer is extremely thrilled at speed at which we were able to help them with which without having to lose any data and without having to spend any extra money. So that that makes me very happy. That was one example I can I can other remember the very similar. It's just so funny sometimes when this happens, it happens one after the other. That happened on one Sunday. Next Wednesday, I get a call from other. I was still told by my one of my uh, guys in uh, France. He says, "Oh my God, my gastro impactor can actually happen." Exact same in sequence of incidents. So, I guess I know this is one of the things. As soon as this happened, we said, "Guys, when you go back and look at it, half the time it's a simple set of things the customer missed doing. Like simple configuration, things like that. Some lax holes in their networking, things like that." So we immediately put a checklist together and said, send it to all of our customers and say, guys, please run the simple checklist. That would prevent 98%. You can never prevent malicious users, but at least all your basic infrastructure thing, you should be able to cut. So that's that's something very happy that we've been able to help customers. Yeah, it, it sounds like you, you all may have some some extra bonus money coming uh, around Christmas time, you know, from that customer <laughs> since you save them, you know, over a million bucks. <laughs> Absolutely. I, the customer is so thrilled. I mean, they've been very, very uh, gracious about uh, telling their experience to sharing their experience with other people and saying how, why, what not to do and how to prevent it. So we are thank, very thankful for the customer. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it sounded like a like a very impressive story. And uh, I, I continue to hear different flavors of, of a similar story, you know, with, with different technologies being able to, you know, recover really quickly and, and simply um, just from a data protection and backup and recovery perspective. Um, so I am very thankful that um, some very smart engineers decided that, you know what, we can help fight this ransomware that's going on because, believe it or not, Bitcoin and, and, and um, ransomware, you know, it's actually a full-time job. So you have hackers now, you know, that's what they do for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And I think they even have this thing called, um, it's kind of a hacker as a service uh, where they can actually, they actually have these little development kits. Like if you want to be a hacker, then you can actually download the code and they'll teach you how. Wow to implement ransomware and to get into someone's system. And it's it's a big business. So, yeah, it, it's horrible, but, you know, everyone has to make a living. It's kind of like the mafia or, or the mob. <laughs> That's true. That is true. The new high-tech mafia. The, the world is becoming more more digital, especially with COVID-19. And, you know, everyone's in front of a screen now, including our kids from a virtual perspective. Um, so it's it's a real thing that's out there right now. Totally. So, Baya, th- this is one that it's it's a unique question that that I ask, and sometimes I switch it up. Um, and it's 
not totally related to technology, but I think it'll be a fun question for you to answer. So that question is, uh, what would you tell your 16-year-old self if you had an opportunity to travel back in time to secretly change your destiny? (laughs) That's a very interesting question. Let's have some fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, The biggest thing I think for me was that... uh, I was fortunate enough to learn uh, computers when I was in in my late teens. I started learning uh, computers. Okay. If I had the opportunity, which I would tell probably people, is that learn some technology early on, and that's I think one of the things uh, for people. If I would I would say definitely because I think it's an amazing. I think a lot of people, your listeners, would pretty much be all technologists, so they mm-hmm. probably all have a view on this thing. But personally, for me, I think that would. That is something uh, a big a big part. I think if I were to just go back I, when I tell my kids to please learn technology, the big thing I think of is it's not about using technology. It's also understanding about how technology works and what's the difference. The reason I think of that is if we understand it better, we understand have a better appreciation. We know how to choose how to leverage it to the best of power to help us the most. And I think that's that's one of the things. If I were to do go back into, I would have understood a lot more of the technology I was learning and using. Um, that is, that's something I would do uh, quite a bit. Number two, I would actually uh, personally here, I would say is that listening to people, being able to understand other people and do it and do the right thing. And that is the second thing I would say. The third thing I would say is that uh, for me, understanding business, I think for me happened in my mid twenties and things like that. I wish I had actually done it little earlier, I would probably say, if I were to go back and say, try to understand why people do what people do. And I think this goes back to see one of the things I'm a product guy. And as a product guy for me is listening to customers, not just listening to what they are saying, it's trying to see what problem are they trying to solve, being able to get to that root cause, right? What are the things, what will move the needle for them? I think that is something I gained over time. I wish if I had the magic thing, if I had to go back 16, I wish I had done it at 16. So. <laughs> Those are some of the things I would probably have done. That. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's all all fantastic. And, and as you were sitting here, uh, kind of going over some of the things that you would do, I, I had a couple of my own, but I, I, I won't bore the listeners <laughs> and talk about what I would tell the 16-year-old Demetrius, except I, I'll leave out chasing <laughs> girls um, from, from that equation because I... I have a house full of uh, full of women here that that I am uh, help helping to raise. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, kind of sharing your perspective on data protection, Gumbo. It's been a pleasure bringing you on. I, I am sure Gumbo listeners will will take away some insight around you know HCI and also you know cloud native protection and backup and recovery and e- and even maybe uh, a thing or two from from your ransomware story. So. I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming on the gumbo, Sabaya. Uh, Dimitri, I really appreciate you providing us the opportunity. One of the things I just want to leave a parting thing for customers is that, or people listening to your audience, in your audiences, if they want to learn more about the uh, ransomware story or want to hear about some of the broader things they could do in, uh, with data protection, how can they simplify their life? I just mm-hmm. encourage them to check out uh, haiku.com or send us an info to send an email to subaya.sundaram at haiku.com. I'm happy to share my thoughts with them. 
Sure. And also, I guess one more thing, if if you want anyone to reach out to you on social media, you, you want to provide maybe one of your social media, um, maybe a Twitter handle or something. Absolutely. It's uh, Subaya. It's S-U-B-B-I-A-H Subaya. S-S. Subaya S-S is my Twitter handle. Uh, please do uh, look forward. I look forward to connecting with many of you and really appreciate your uh, listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.